Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Risk with Dr. Naveen Agarwal. Each week we talk about a topic related to risk management of medical devices in a very casual and informal way. This is not a webinar or lecture, rather our goal is to talk about key topics and challenges in a very informal way and share best practices. I'm your host Naveen Agarwal and I'm the principal and founder at Achieve where my personal mission is to help you achieve success in risk management. In this episode, I'm joined by Per Mako to talk about the topic of post-market safety surveillance. With the new EUMDR in place, post-market safety surveillance for medical devices has taken a new importance. Per has enormous experience in this area, building post-market safety surveillance systems in compliance with regulatory requirements and also harmonizing them within a large organization. We talk about uh, the differences in approach from different notified bodies like TUV and BSI and our own internal organization who is used to doing post-market surveillance in a certain way. How do we create that change? Uh, this conversation happened as part of a LinkedIn live audio event in front of a live audience. You're about to hear a recording of our conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. With that, guys, I'm super, super excited today to welcome Per Mako today, who has enormous experience in quality systems, and especially we are going to talk about today on the post-market surveillance side. We got we got to uh, dig deeper into this topic because I know many people in the industry find it difficult to manage the expectations of notified bodies, to manage their internal expectations, to manage the expectations of their customers and patients and doctors, whose market safety surveillance process is at the center of it. So we're going to dig deeper uh, with Per today because he has uh, very interesting insights to share. So just hang in there. Uh, we will start uh, momentarily and uh, you know we'll invite you to participate in this conversation in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, so with that, you know, let me go ahead and, and start um, uh, just having my conversation with Per. Per, welcome today. Uh, thank you for joining. And please uh, start by introducing yourself to our audience. Hi, my name is Per Megar. I've been uh, working 20-odd um, years uh, with, uh, with quality in medical device. Um, with the introduction of EU MDR, um, the focus for me was primarily to set up the post-market surveillance. I was a director for for six and a half years with Stryker Corporation in the trauma and extremity division, and um, we had then had the challenge to set set this post-market surveillance. Uh, program up that could work with our clinical department. So primarily I have the experience from a multinational uh, medical device company. So for some of you that might not be as relevant, but I think that the general knowledge probably will be. Yes, absolutely. So uh, I want to start by just, uh, you know, Taking a step back and asking the question, why should we care about post-market surveillance? I know there are regulatory requirements, but uh, why is it important? Why should we care? Well, like, like everyone who has dealt with quality probably will agree upon is that um, 
quality should not be be used as as a uh, means of compliance, but it should be a value adding tool. Uh-huh. The same thing with uh, post market surveillance. Uh, post market surveillance can give you insights and basically cover the um, which is the reason why it was introduced in the UMDR to cover the the gap that we know that there are between um, what is reported to us as as producers or manufacturers and and what is the real take in in real life in in the market okay so so it should be used as a value adding tool um, and that's the only way you will get the resources because it's it's not a, a light job. It's not a small job. It, it can be tremendously uh, demanding on resources. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, here's one thing that I have often thought about, Per. You know, we spend so much effort and resources in product development uh, to get out of the gate, to commercialize and launch our product. Enormous amount of effort, right? Uh, we try to show safety effectiveness. We try to put together all the information. And in post-market phase, which for medical devices can last many, many years, 10, 20, 30 years. In the post-market phase, we still have to make sure our devices are safe and effective and producing business results. So I find this, I don't know what your experience is, I find uh, that there is a little bit of a gap between our attention and focus on safety and effectiveness during product development versus during post-market. Does that kind of resonate with you as well? It absolutely absolutely does, and and you will probably also in many bigger companies see that um, the people who are, are product managers um, they like to be product managers of new products uh-huh. because that is exciting. Uh-huh. Whereas maintenance, once we have the products on the market, and as you rightly said, they can be on the market for twenty, thirty years. Uh-huh. Uh, if it's implants, it can be on the market until the last patient who had this implant is actually no longer with us. Absolutely. So, so and, 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 and the focus goes away and it becomes something, oh, we'll take the new guy and he let him maintain um, the products that we already know everything about. Yeah. Because that is, the general feeling is that we know everything. <laughs> um, and I do not think we do. Um, so, so, to actually make it a little bit more interesting, I think the EU MDR comes as, as a blessing to us because uh-huh. uh, there we will find uh, new things that we did not know about our existing products. And EU MDR has uh, uh, pretty extensive requirements for post-market surveillance, right? Yes, but again, it depends a little bit on... I've seen it in uh, my background with Stryker uh, where... Um, trauma and extremity was the only division that was actually located in Europe <laughs> and we had TUV as, as a notified body and um, a lot of our, our um, other divisions they used BSI and there was a huge difference in the interpretation of these two notified bodies uh, towards what was required for a proper post-market surveillance. Wow, so... Um, so- but I'm thinking that many many people are in this in a similar situation. Uh, can you say a little bit more about some of the differences that you felt were there in these two approaches from TUV versus BSI? Yeah, well, we had obviously a a corporate uh, function who tried to coordinate um, the different interpretations from the different divisions. 
And the main difference that I've seen uh, with these two notified bodies is within uh, post-market surveillance because it is a, a, a new introduction, more or less, of, of a term. And I think that TUV is probably been the, the most aggressive one okay. in, in this interpretation, and they have demanded that you set up either a do, do all the things we all normally do do complaint investigation do the uh, clinical evaluations uh, reports etc etc and but on top of that they would either want to see that we went out and did uh, surveys uh-huh. which uh, most um, um, uh, marketing people would not uh, be very happy about <laughs> that we actually contact people uh, regarding something else than selling more products <laughs> uh, and then we were like okay what can we do then so we um, opted to go big data and internet trolling so we contracted a a company in the Netherlands who helped us set up internet trolling. So basically going through every and any open source data that were available on the internet, we could then set the um, the search criteria. And obviously it's a, it's a, it can be a, what do you call it? A, a sort with two, two sides because yeah. the minute you hear about an event Regardless of whether it's my division or somebody else's division, I'm with Striker. Yeah. About something, I need to bring that on to the proper people. So, so the search is, is actually where we spend the most resources and the most time. Is basically to to start with having no hits, and then moving up from there and saying, okay, how many hits do we have if we extend the search mm-hmm. to this? Um, and and going from there, instead of going the other way and starting with one million hits, because you are actually uh, by law <laughs> obliged to to work through these. So that's that's not going to be something that that a lot of other divisions yeah. would be interested in, especially if they are with ESI. Yeah, so exactly. That's another interaction. Exactly. So, so I think this will level out over the next couple of years that they will come to have more or less the same same view on what is required. But uh, right now, now it's not so, which is also an issue if you are acquiring a new company who yeah. has another uh, notified body than what you used to. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have a very interesting follow-up on, on that. But first, I, I do want to talk about... Um, a little bit more on BSI's approach. You talked about TUV, but can you say a little bit more about uh, you know how you view BSI's approach to post-market surveillance today. Well, I I view it as a bit lacking. If if we are to to say we want to fill the gap between what we what we uh, passively get in, so from complaints and and literature uh, regarding our products, and uh, to close the gap uh, to what is. What is the what are the patients really experiencing? And then I think the BSI are lacking a bit. Maybe I cannot say whether it's true, but maybe because they have seen that TOE is is putting on the screws here and and maybe saying, hmm, 
maybe we can pick up all the customers who are not uh, willing to go with GUV and then picking them up by being a bit more lenient. That's and they, they have not focused so much on the active part of, uh, of, of gathering data. So, so you could get away, I have heard, in, in some instances with saying we did a very thorough um, clinical evaluation and uh-huh. looked at everything that is in writing out there, and this is the way we, we close the gap. Got you. So, you know, of course, over time, we are, we are expecting the, the notified bodies to kind of have some common approach and alignment. But the follow-up question I had for you about your uh, internal sort of uh, process of doing this search, which is fascinating to me, but I'm more interested actually in exploring the cultural side of it. How did, I'm sure you probably experienced some resistance, some internal resistance to doing this, and maybe that changed your approach uh, going from broad to narrow. And in fact, you decided to go from you know narrow to broad. Can you say a little bit more about uh, the internal cultural side of that, and how did you overcome that resistance? Yes. Well, since we were the only one situated in Europe, we were very focused on it from day one. Uh-huh. Um, meaning that we were actually ready with everything uh, for the original deadline, uh-huh. which then uh, comes back as a boomerang because uh, now the initial deadline has been moved. I don't know, three, four, five times, uh-huh. and 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 now the uh, the amount of resources we put in to start with to actually hit the target. Uh, is coming back to haunt us a little bit because um, we we we're seen as hysterical uh, overreactors uh, as a, as opposed to those who could actually if they if if uh, um, if EU had said well this is the deadline guys uh, so whoever has not fulfilled um, what they needed to before the deadline sorry we're not gonna. We're closing closing down your product. Uh-huh. Of course, they could not do this because uh-huh. we, as as normal human beings, we would like to have the most optimal uh, medical devices available to us when we go to the hospital. So, yes, and so it it's it probably the learning from this is chill. <laughs> um, when there's a new law, new legislation, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, the, I think that is would be the at least the corporate uh, financial learning from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, from our side, we were like, okay, we hit the deadline. Yes, it was moved and postponed, but we needed to do this job anyways. Mm-hmm. And we are ready. And we will have to do it for, for, for the next many years. So, so it's not lost what we put into it. Sure thing, sure thing. Now, before I invite the audience participation in just a minute, I have one final question on this topic per uh, in your mind, what would a good, what would a good post-market surveillance process look like? Briefly. Briefly, you would be obviously using our old data from our complaints. Uh-huh. Uh, you would be using the, the clinical uh, feedback loop that we have, uh, and it would be using the 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 big data we we also gather. And, and the added advantage here is that. Through big data, you can actually identify key opinion makers okay. in the different uh, geographical zones. And therefore, if you are clever, 
you yeah. use this in your marketing uh, to actually, instead of going out to the whole population, you you target these six, seven, ten uh, opinion makers, and you get them to on your uh, to to be on your side instead of against. That is, I silly. think that that can be a, a huge benefit for for the corporation. Yeah. So what you are pointing out <laughs> really is post-market surveillance, not just being an exercise in meeting regulatory requirements, but also intelligence gathering that we can feed in our marketing department, that we can feed to our product development, even feed to our manufacturing folks. So it's intelligence. I think it's all about intelligence, right? Yeah, and, and it's all about value adding because we, we're all, when we're working in quality or post-market surveillance, we are looked at as as uh, non-productive uh, parts of of, yeah. uh, um, of the balance sheet. So, the minute we can actually use the legislation to to show the company that hey, we are adding value to this, yeah. um, that that will be a benefit for us also and yes. increase our value internally in the company. Excellent. Thank you for that, uh, Per. And now, guys, uh, I want to invite you to just, uh, you know, raise your hand uh, and come join us. Participate in this conversation. Uh, share what you have in mind. Uh, as I mentioned before, it doesn't have to be a question. We are not here with all the answers. We are here to have a conversation. So, Russ, you are on. Uh, I welcome you. Uh, please unmute and share what you have in mind. Good morning. Hi, Russ. Um, I wanted to ask, um, I, I agree, we've got all this uh, complaint data uh, to go back and review against our product and see if we need to make any changes to our risk management documentation. But does anybody have a better answer, well, a, a, a better suggestion to how to do that than to go through each complaint individually? Interesting. Um, it's I, I agree. It's a it's a good thing that we've got all the complaint data, but I'm just looking for how to put together that feedback loop. Got you, Per. Do you have any thoughts on yeah. that? If you want to go ahead and share that, but Ru Russ, yeah, I'm, 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 I I need a bit more information from Russ because um, how can you not go through each individual complaints um, looking for um, risks that have not been originally um, conceived in the risk management file? How can you do that without going through each individual case? Yeah, let me let me uh, kind of share a few thoughts here. Russ, I know, I, I hear what you're saying, and per your point is also right. There are two sides to it, right? We have to evaluate and investigate each individual complaint. But we also have to look for patterns. And I think it's that dual purpose, dual challenge that becomes difficult for most people to handle. And I've seen that in practice. Uh, people do trend analysis, control charts, whatever mechanisms they have. But at the end of the day, we have to find a way to detect signals before they become a trend. So uh, guys, without going into too much detail, really the, the, the challenge here is to, to, be able, to be able to do both. And you may have one tip I can uh, offer to you based on my experience, you have to allocate different resources, different experts. Not everybody will do everything. But that's also a difference between vigilance and surveillance. Isn't that right, Per? Vigilance is all about sort of case-by-case -case individual uh, complaints or individual events, and surveillance is more about patterns. 
Exactly, exactly. And then again, I think it's it's um, you can argue towards your your notified body uh, how often you're going to do that, but that would all go back to how vigilant you are in the everyday um, uh, complaint investigation. So if that is vigilant. I think you can get away with uh, doing the trend analysis, maybe even on a quarterly basis. Uh, yeah, I, I think frequency probably you can decide however you want to do it. Uh, but we have to be able to do both. Okay, so uh, Ed, I know uh, you have been trying to get in here, so I'm going to invite you first to unmute your mic and share your thoughts. Please go ahead. Ed, can you hear me? Okay, we'll give Ed a couple of minutes to uh, to figure this out on his end. Uh, Vikas, you go ahead and please unmute your mic and share what you have in mind. Yes, thanks for this interesting conversation. Uh, I have a question and a suggestion. Mm-hmm. When we embrace uh, post-market surveillance to identify emerging risk, and especially when those emerging risks are very specifically related to such kind of hazards, which are uh, really very much random, uh-huh. let's say electromagnetic interference. Uh-huh. So how to identify such kind of uh, hazards, or, uh, not hazard, uh, the risk risk due to electromagnetic interference during post-market surveillance? Because end user is very often not very well acquainted with those kind of events. Yeah, so we may not get enough information. So. Fair. Again, I, I'm going to uh, give you a, an opportunity to that, share what yeah, you, how you that, handle that would, that, would be the, that would be the same as if you have that coming in as a complaint. You would have to investigate this. Um, you would have to try to get contact, uh, in contact with these people who are saying that all the other instruments are bleeping when I use this particular um, device. Uh, so, so, so you will, will have to investigate these things as a you would do with a, a written or electronically submitted complaint. Great. So, because I think I'll add to that what Per said. Uh, another way of learning about potential hazards and hazardous situations is to review warning letters, recalls, safety announcements. And there are so many out there. And I, I actually, I do that very frequently. And I share that on my Let's Talk Risk newsletter. By reviewing those, you will actually learn the scenario and you have to talk to your medical clinical folks about the actual use environment. Go visit the hospital setting. Go see how the device is being used and ask the question, could there be electrical electromagnetic interference? We are supposed to do both, not just rely on passive monitoring and complaints, but also uh, what we are learning from the marketplace. Uh, I hope that helps. Uh, with that, I'm going to invite Ed. Uh, Ed, see if you can unmute your mic and share what you have in mind now. Okay, so looks like we are still having some uh, challenges on that end. Ed, I'm going to st- please hang in there and give it a try again. So, uh, Taylor, you are requesting to speak. I will invite you now. And Rick, here you go. All right. All right, Rick, you have joined us. So please unmute your mic and share what you have in mind. Yeah, Per, can you uh, explain the relationship between um, post-market surveillance and clinical and what kind of relationship should be there so they're two different processes yeah absolutely they they are two different processes but they are they are linked at the hip 
um, because uh, during EUMDR you have to do the PSURs, uh, and then a part of it would be to gather all the intelligence, so coming from complaints, coming from statistics, uh, etc., and hand that. We did this this way, anyways. Handed that over to clinical. Clinical would review if there's anything in that information that they need to add to their findings from the clinical evaluation or the clinical literature. And then they would send it back to us and we will would put that all together and be in the post-market surveillance department would be the ones who finish it and hand it over to regulatory who would then submit it. Got you. And on a follow-up question, um, so we got complaint data coming in through post-market surveillance, which is really clinical experience. Uh, it's qualitative in nature. We have to translate it to make it quantitative and then feed it to clinical speak a different language. Are, are we, are, do you, in your experience, are we losing stuff in translation? Um, again, I think it depends on on your collaboration between the the complaint or the post market surveillance and the clinical, because obviously you are absolutely uh, on the point. We need to speak the same language. Our codes need to be similar so that we can interpret each other's data. That's it. I think that, that that's the whole point. Is that and that's why I said you are linked. Uh, with, with these guys because we, we need to have a common understanding of these different things. And I think that that key point has been emphasized in our past conversations on this topic, right, guys? You know, we have heard over and over again that risk management is a team sport. Everybody has to be involved at the right place at the right time. So uh, it involves a little bit of sort of uh, facilitation, project management. Uh, what, what I will share, Rick, with you is that uh, my experience where it has worked well is where in the complaints handling and post-market, we have directly involved our medical professionals. So we have directly engaged with them on a monthly basis to review information, including narratives in MDRs or complaints. That's when we avoid this uh, problem of lost in translation or just looking at the numbers. Uh, let me see if Ed is with us or not. I think uh, we are having a lot of uh, challenges there. So Ed, uh, please, please don't give up. Keep trying. I'm going to uh, try to bring you on as much as I can. Uh, hey, there you are. Okay, go ahead, Ed. Hey, I made it. You yeah, made it. Yeah, we're not problem this morning. Um, I wanted to point to a couple things here. <laughs> we talked about actively collecting data. And uh, Clause 10 of 14971 that I worked on, uh, in general, in the first sentence said, the manufacturer shall, that's required. <laughs> to comply with 14971, establish, document, and maintain a system to underline the word actively collect and review information. So if you're going to comply with 14971 and claim compliance, you have to have active uh, collection of data, which means you go out and get it. You don't wait for somebody to tell you something. You have to go out and search. Well, how do we do that? Well, our source for developing Clause 10 was the GHTF CAPA guidance document. <laughs> and in the GHTF CAPA guidance document, it's got a couple of pages of examples of um, data that you should be collecting, both the data sources and the data elements in those sources that you should be looking at. 
So if you want to know anything about uh, this Clause 10 and also Clause 8 and 1335 used the same document. Mm-hmm. We both relied on the GHTF Kappa guidance document to develop um, our, uh, uh, I guess it's the post-market activities as well as the production activities. Yeah. So um, if you want to know where to go to get more information, that's a good place, uh, as well as, of course, um, 24971 as a, uh, a set of those examples from the uh, GHTF. So if you already have 24971, you have some of those examples, mm-hmm. but it's only one page where uh, the GHTF document, I think, is three pages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. So, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Ed. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Taylor, you're on, and I know we are almost uh, running out of time, so I'm going to invite you and uh, um, ask you to share your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Go ahead, please. Great. Okay. Uh, well, first, uh, thanks again, Naveen, for putting these on and for, for sharing your insights. I just wanted to add a little bit uh, from an uh, earlier question from Russ, and then also adding on to what uh, Edwin just uh, threw in there, too, is 24971 provides, <clears throat> specifically within the IBD um, H section of 24971, starts talking about a classification and coding scheme mm-hmm. that can be used to help translate complaints um, in ways that complaint investigators use uh, specifically for IMDRF codes and things of that nature and then transfer those into risk management terminology because it's kind of unrealistic for us to get individual complaint investigators to be fluent Mm -hmm. in risk management terminology Mm -hmm. Um, so we can use our risk management teams including clinical and the cross-functional team that's set up for risk management documentation Mm -hmm. in order to um, facilitate some type of a key in the form of a classification and coding scheme that can be used ongoing and continuously updated over the post-market surveillance cycle such that we're getting valuable information that can be acted on uh, continuously. That's something that I've talked on in the past too and would love to share any insights too. Oh, wonderful, Taylor. Thank you. With that, I really appreciate it because guys, see, this is the whole point of this. When we get together and share these uh, insights, we learn from each other. Not all of us have all the answers. So, uh, uh, Per, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to think about some closing comments. And uh, just in the meantime, guys, I want to share with you a few uh, housekeeping points. Again, to emphasize, this is a weekly event. So you don't have to look for uh, an announcement or an appointment. If you're interested, mark it on your calendars, 11 a.m. Eastern, and just show up. Uh, I announce on my LinkedIn feed. You will find the link there. Uh, secondly, if you missed this, again, I want to tell you about the Let's Talk Risk newsletter. Sign up. There's a link in the, uh, in the d- details of this event section that you can find a link to just join my newsletter and get past articles and recordings. And finally, again, I'm going to um, just, just give a shout out to everybody for joining. Tell your friends. And if you guys want to come on uh, to this conversation as a guest, please raise your hand and reach out to me. Uh, You all have a lot of uh, very interesting perspectives to share with everybody. Uh, With that, Per, I want to invite some closing comments from you. Thank you. And and I must say, Taylor and Edwin, thank you very much for for sharing. This is is, uh, just like Naveen is saying, this is the essential thing about what we're doing is that we don't have to to invent it all ourselves, but we can share... um, 
of our uh, experience. What this uh, post-market surveillance obviously all links back to is the safety for uh -huh. our customers. Uh -huh. And therefore, uh, in, in, in a proper uh, setup, I would say that, that the risk management board, um, where the individual products managers come in and present their new thing for this new product or, or an existing product that needs to be reviewed or whatever, they, to me, are the ones that should help the complaint department in translating it into into risk management language uh, if if there are any interpretation uh, mistakes. So so definitely that that is a place where it needs to be. Um, Apart from that, I have no other comments. Uh, I'm, I'm looking very much forward to following both your newsletter, but also the whole development within uh, this topic for the next uh, many years. Because Perfect. It, it will be interesting. Yes, yes. Thank so, you very much. Thanks again, Per, for uh, coming on and sharing your insights. Thanks, Taylor, Ed, Vikas, Rasen, uh, and Rick. Um, you guys... You guys are the ones making this conversation so exciting and so energetic for everybody. I really appreciate your engagement and participation. Wish you guys a good weekend. And we will connect once again next Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Have a good one, everybody. See you soon and Thank stay you. safe out there. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.